If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, because we're in Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, last week we spent time in verses 1 through 14 of this text. Today we are spending the majority of our time in verses 15 through 21, but for the sake of point of reference, I'm going to read verses 6 through 21 in just a moment since you are moving in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become partners. They're partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all righteousness and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of the time, because the days, the days are evil. So don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 7 again, Do not become partners with evil. What a unique thing for us to hear that we as a believing people because the book of Ephesians is written to a church and we believe that the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter was writing with the church in mind. He was writing this for the church at Ephesus and because God is timeless he uses this text to speak into the lives of our people and the lives of Bible believing Christ honoring congregations all over the world. What we believe when we look at this text is that God is doing something unique in the lives of His people and He's giving us direction and warning as to what it means to not partner with evil things. Some of our common graces in a fallen world are are very prevalent. They're very obvious to us. And they're obvious even though we overlook them. Common graces like you did not have to walk 10 miles to church today. You got into a car and you drove here. More than likely. And if you did not drive here, look at you getting those steps in. (laughs) Common graces, like when I was a child, my grandmother would, would make Sunday lunch regularly. We never stopped at restaurants. It is a common grace that we have provided a food court in our parking lot for you on your way home so someone does not have to worry about a roast. Common graces... They're all over. Common graces like group messaging apps, those are really helpful to us. And this is an instruction for some of you in the room. Someone in this room who evidently has vendetta against me made a decision the other day because I I own an Apple phone because I like blue text messages. I never never add someone... There was a moment last year on vacation when... A cousin 
father-in-law was showing me his Android phone, and he said, look at the pictures this takes. And I said, but can you send me a blue text message from it? Because if not, I don't care. One of our members sent me a text the other day where they had added me, though this person is an Apple user, they had added me to a group text message with numerous Android users. Like every engineer this person has ever met was on this thread. And when, when I get the text, I realize I can't leave it. I can't escape it. Everybody kept clicking their likes on this thing. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't like anybody in this thread right now. I was so miserable. I, I looked. Can I leave the group? No. Can I name the group people I don't like? No. There were no options for me on this. I was, there was no way to get away from this. Sometimes when we talk about what it means to live as a person of faith in this world, we choose something where we go one way really hard or we go the other way really hard. We'll choose to say that we are going to make sure that we're present in this world, but we will remove ourselves completely from an unbelieving world. The other side is for the believing people <clears throat> to unite their lives with unbelieving people and to allow themselves to be trapped in the darkness that they cannot get away from. So you see the idea of partnering there. Neither one of those seem to be what Scripture is teaching because God has placed us as His people in a world that is at this time ruled by the uh, principalities of this world, but God has placed you as kingdom representatives place believing people as kingdom representatives in this world to show us what hope is, to declare that there is hope. So the reason that we redirect you on, uh, on Halloween or Reformation Day, or it's referred to as both. Some of you are like, I'm going to celebrate both tomorrow dressed as Martin Luther nailing 95 Reese's to my door. Tomorrow, as a church, we are going to be present in our community. And if, if you're not a person who's into that, that's fine. But for those of us who are believers, I would encourage you to consistently wrestle with, if you are the one who attempts, for whatever reason, to remove yourself from society, where are you inserting yourself in a fallen world to declare that God is good that God is worth your time, that he's worth your energy, that he's worth your effort, that you believe in all the things that we've said today, that you've been united with Christ through, the, through his death and by the power of his resurrection. Where are we making those statements? And I believe that you are because I just, I've been here for over five years now. I just tell people regularly, we have the best people here. I, I love you more than I ever expected to love you. I expect to like you a lot, but I, I am so grateful for this congregation of people, for the faithful witness of our people to our community. And tomorrow night is one of those nights, and it's not the only night, we have other opportunities to do this, where we say to people who are coming door to the beggars and vagabonds asking for candy, here's a candy bar. But not just a little candy bar, like some weirdo. Here's a full-sized one. It's a great opportunity for us to say we are people who belong to Jesus and we want you to belong to Jesus 
And we want to have interactions with you. Some of the families in this room do such a really great job of interacting with their community and with their neighborhoods. I'm so grateful to know that. That you're gathering together with not just believers, but unbelievers. That you're interacting in places like libraries where they give you free books for an allotted period of time. Where you're gathering together and you're being present for the sake of Jesus. So we look at this text and what we find is, big idea, interacting with the Lord and His people guides our steps in this world. Interacting with the Lord and His people guides our steps into this world. Now remember, don't become partners with evil, but you can be present and not be a partner. What's God doing for us? Well, we'll see three things in this text that kind of break down. One, He prepares us. Two, he empowers us. And three, he provides. And we'll see what he prepares us to do, what he empowers us to do, and how he provides for us, what he provides. So pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. There's this difference in general wisdom. When we begin to consider wisdom and what that means, there's a difference in general wisdom that everyone should be able to interact with, some who has, someone who has that, and, and spiritual wisdom. Uh, general wisdom is when we look and we say, that person, they're a really good business person. Though they don't have any clue whatsoever as to who Jesus is or why Jesus is that, they're a really good business person and we can gain some type of general wisdom from them. How many of you guys know someone in your life who does not have a faith relationship with Jesus who has some practical wisdom that they have maybe shared with you? Okay, that's great. We know those people. Uh, and, And our society has deemed this person wise because of the fact that they have a a car that someone likes or, or whatever. But more than that, we see the notion of spiritual wisdom. It's something altogether different. It's the idea of us having a fear of the Lord that guides our steps and it shapes our words. And God has prepared us to be in this world in a way that says that he, has guiding, he is guiding our steps, which is active, and he's shaping our words, which is also active. Uh, last Two weeks ago, Jared and I went to do a revival. If you don't know what a revival is, talk to me after worship today. If you grew up Baptist, you know exactly what a revival is. And every night we would go in and and Jared would lead the music and I would preach the preaching. It was a really good time. And during the day we would meet with various people from the church, some of the senior adults, some of the not-so-senior adults. We interacted with them after church at night. And I got to watch Jared, and I was so encouraged by him, because Jared's just wise. He's wiser than I really give him credit for sometimes. We actually sat down at lunch one day, and there was a a conversation that came up. And in this conversation, there was a a tad bit of a disagreement. But I watched as my friend, and and your worship pastor, he graciously disagreed in a way that did not cause this person to run away, but but declared, this is really what Scripture teaches. He didn't just do that in that moment. Throughout the course of our time together, I noticed as he interacted with these senior adults, well, Jared's really good at interacting with senior adults. He's the youngest 94-year-old man that I know. (laughs) I, I watched as he listened. 
you would have been so proud of him. I was. It's the idea of us having a wisdom that makes the best use of our time. Now, in moments of disagreement, we can definitely do the other. We can make the worst use of our time. He and I, at a Mexican restaurant in Dallas, which is basically a Mexican restaurant in Maine, <laughs> lobster rolls on those nachos. We could have disagreed and argued. He was gracious. He honored the scriptures and he honored the existence, the image of the God in that person. Our current world is governed by evil. And I don't mean in the government sense, in the, like you're like, yeah, I voted two days ago. There is an umbrella of darkness over our world, and it's affected every decision. Not the decisions just of the left or of the right. Every decision is infected and invaded and infested and distorted by it. But for the people of Jesus who've been told to wake up, get up, shine the light of Christ, you've been given the opportunity to stand up. So stand up to interact in a way that shines His light. Pay attention to how you live or to how you walk in a world that is governed by evil. Our world, the world that you live in, stands in stark contrast to God's goodness, God's joy, God's redemption. It just does. And as someone who belongs to Jesus, that's you. If you belong to Jesus, you, your life in word and in deed has been empowered to make this statement. There is a better way. There is. And for those of us who are going to follow Jesus, would we dare to us to declare that he is a better way? That Jesus walk as God's people, shaped by God's word, by the Holy Spirit. Real wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the opposite of that, for us to live in sin, really just boils down to this. Sin is rebellious ungratefulness in motion. I don't appreciate what God's done. I don't want to walk in light of what God's done. I don't trust what God's done. And the believer can get caught in that. And Paul, as we said earlier, has said, get up. Wake up. Shine the light of Jesus. The phrase redeeming your time is pretty great. It's pretty great because it lets us know there is no neutral use of time. There just isn't. And this doesn't mean that you need to get on a... a a gerbil wheel and run all of the time and also be thinking, am I making the best use of this? But it's being able to see that the unwise are trapped in darkness. That's what the, ta the text described last week. But we as believers, we're not that anymore. So we would use our time wisely. Use our time investing. Use our time caring. Use our time displaying. Use our time discipling believers. Use our time interacting with those who don't believe make the best use of your time I spent three and a half years in Dallas Fort Worth and I will say this they have some really great restaurants in DFW it's a great place to live I understand why people live there I'm a Mavericks fan it's pretty sad right now but in a world where there are all these great restaurants my friends and I of all the restaurants to choose from we went to Chili's every single weekend. That is not the best use of your time. 
It's just not, it's not the best use of your digestion. It's not the best use of anything. They microwave their chicken. They call it a convection oven. The people of God have been told to wake up, get up, stand in the light of Christ. Make the best use of your time. How are you using your time wisely right now? How are you using your time for the sake of Jesus right now? If that's investing in your family, then that's using your time wisely. If that's you being present, that's investing your time wisely. If that's you knowing the name of your neighbor, that's using your time wisely. If that's you knowing what your neighbor is dealing with, that's using your time wisely. Make the best use of your time. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, it says in verse 17. To be foolish, the best definition of it is to act without reason. And we use the word fool a lot, we, and the Bible is pretty against the notion of seeing what... The, it's the notion of being damned. It's the idea that we would look and we would say, I want to, I want to act with reason and with thought. We look at this text and we see that God is saying to us... Uh, Really, we should be directed by someone. Our lives should be guided by someone. Our direction is given to us by someone. How many of us are praying about things that we are already we know we're supposed to do? That's a, it's a really easy way to cop out of anything. When someone asks you to do something and you don't have the 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 wherewithal to say no in the moment. So you tell them that you will pray about it. Some decisions are right and wrong. Others are right and left. And the Spirit will not lead you toward anything that's contrary to the Scriptures. If we are people who are investing in what Scripture teaches... And again, if you're a believer in this room, this should land for you. If you're not a believer in this room, all of this should sound like a chaotic mess. Because it's so contrary to what life actually feels like. We are taught consistently and regularly that we should do what we want in the way that we want, in a way that satisfies the, the insatiable desires that we have. Yet here in this text, you have Paul, by the power of the Spirit, saying to God's people, trust something more. Trust something more. 18, don't get drunk on with wine. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, there are people who have taken this first portion of this text, and they have denounced every type of drinking that there is to denounce. I don't think that you can do that consistently with what Scripture teaches. Because there is, there is consistent use of Scripture in ways that are, are beneficial, that we can look at. Now, if you're someone who's struggled with alcoholism, I, I understand. You, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's a really terrible plan for me. Drunk on wine is more than just the idea of wine in this passage. It's actually more than that. It's anything that would clog or fog your judgment. It's you giving yourself over to something. It's the willful abandonment of self-control. Have you given yourself over to anything that would call, cause you to willfully abandon self-control? To, to give yourself to something else. This shifts the thoughts and the action of the believer from the willful abandonment of self-control to the reliance on God's control. 
when Paul seems to be communicating here, it's not just about wine. It's about the things that we would seek to find refuge in, which are not good for us to find refuge in. So we should not find refuge in drowsiness. What does that mean? We should not find refuge in the idea that I'm just, just going to go away. I'm going to ignore that this is happening. We should not find refuge in ignorance. I'm going to completely overlook this altogether. And we should not find refuge in inebriation. How many of us have ever used a phrase like, I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to sleep until all this is over and gone? That's ignoring and overlooking and trying to sleep through something that you are not going to sleep through. And we go through hard things, but God in this text is really directing His people toward a good thing here. Moving away from the willful abandonment of self-control to the reliance on His control. That God reigns and that He rules and that God has acted in the lives of His people. We're not to be able to live a life of love if we find in a, that we find in the book of Ephesians if we are doing this in our own resources and of our own power. So you see in the text that God has he gives this direction for us, that he's provided for us the way that we should move, but you will finally see in the passage that he is doing this unique thing in how he prepares us. He prepares... Go with me to verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So, this is a unique space because of the backgrounds of the people who come in here. Some of you guys grew up Baptist, more Baptist than me, and I was as Baptist as a Baptist could be. Some of you guys grew up Methodist. Some of you guys grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up Episcopal. There are numerous backgrounds that come into this room, and I am grateful that you are here. Some of you are dudes, and men really struggle with the idea of singing. We just do. I'm not really sure why that is. I'm not sure if you've been told that you did not sound great. I'm not sure if you really just can't find yourself syncopating with said melodies. I'm not sure where you find yourself as songs are being sung. But for the believer, God uses song intentionally. A spirit-filled life. If we are going to be people who are not drunken on wine, but filled with the Spirit, it will include song. And what does that mean? Well, there's nothing that, honestly, if we're being transparent, there is nothing more contentious in the world than church music. It just is. It's a fight. It, it can be about song selection. Well, why did you sing that, that little ditty by Stephen Curtis Chapman or Petra? Or didn't Justin, Justin Bieber just release a new one? We think things like that. Can we just sing the Bible? What about the music they play at Chick-fil-A? These are the things that run through our mind. Some of us want to discuss the volume of said songs. Man, uh, you know, when the band is singing, it's just too loud for me. 
Or, or when the band is singing, I love when it's really loud. So some, some people are like, turn it up. Some people are like, turn it down. Lots of you are like, why does Chad not sing more solos? And I understand that completely. <laughs> One person. <laughs> One thing that we have to know is that music lets theology loose. So we go through songs and we work through a variation of a liturgy with drums. But the songs that we sing are inconsistent with what, are, are consistent with what Scripture teaches. They are consistent with the life the believer is and the truth that we hold on to. So when we sing a song that says that Jesus paid it all, that's saying to every believer in the room, don't forget that he paid it all. And it's saying to every one of you who does not have a relationship with Jesus, who someone tricked you into this room today, your only hope is that Jesus paid it all. When we say that Christ is our only hope in life and death, it is to affirm in the heart of a believer your hope's not in how much money you have saved. It's not in how big your truck is. And I've lived in Texas for five and a half years and there are so many big trucks. Your hope is that Jesus and Jesus alone saves. And it says to the non-believer in the room, life and death, the only one who holds it is Jesus. So we as a faith family sing songs that we believe that are true. We select songs that are true. We sing some songs consistently for a couple of reasons. One is so we won't forget that they're true. Number two, it really does say something when we can overhear each other singing. So if one of these tensions is a struggle for you. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's just right. Chad doesn't sing enough. Work through that. Because being able to hear each other in song is a scriptural concept. Being able to, to, to sing freely is a scriptural concept. And we are hoping that we are teaching true things about Jesus as we sing. But you didn't sing that song by that band. Every band everywhere is getting canceled all of the time. We can't fight that fight. So we sing what's true. We sing what's true. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. 21 is a bridge verse. Some people believe that it belongs with this section. Some believe that it belongs with the next section. So we'll let it be part of both sections. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. We, as a believing body, for better or worse, are bound together. In the same way that you made vows at your wedding, when you have entered into a faith relationship with Jesus, you have made a covenant with Him. And that is consistent with what you have done with, with your church family. And I believe that God has brought us together to care for one another. And in these moments of disagreement, and you may have moments of disagreement. You may have moments of disagreement with me. You may have moments of disagreement with Jared, maybe with the person next to you. You probably need to work through that if that's your spouse. I would encourage all of us to really submit ourselves to what God has done for us on the cross of Jesus. To allow 
his sacrifice and his resurrection to shape the way that we see our struggles and our insurrection. We are always in this world going to be at war with what is governing us in the sense of the darkness that has invaded everything. If we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is our hope, who would guide his people, who would provide his word for his people by the power of his spirit, then we've lost it all. Jesus brings us together. So what we do every Sunday or consistently here at Grace is we take communion. If you're a believer in this room, in just a few moments we are going to uh, take communion together. And if you don't have to be a member here to take communion at our church. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin and your only hope is his death and his resurrection, then you are free to take communion with us. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not interested in a relationship with Jesus, I would just ask for you to hold off, to refrain. Because this means something. This is a binding thing that takes place for believers. So, uh, I'm going to pray over us. And in a moment, the band's going to come up, and they're going to begin to lead us in worship. But even now, I'd invite you to bow your heads. A few things to think about as they are getting in place. The first is this. If you are not a believer, but for whatever reason, God by His power has given light to your heart this morning and shown you that you should follow Him through Christ's death and because of His resurrection. Maybe using Josh's story. Maybe using the songs that we've sang. Maybe using the sermon that's been preached. Maybe using someone who brought you here. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus and you want to place your faith in Jesus today, when everyone else moves to take communion, I would encourage you to meet me in the back right-hand corner of the room. As a matter of fact, I'll have an extra communion cup with me. If you would like to walk through what it means to believe in Jesus together, I'd love to do that. The second is this. If you're in this space and you've never been baptized, in the display that Josh gave us today, that he believes that Jesus died for his sins, that Jesus is risen again, if you've never been baptized, we as a church teach, we really believe that the most consistent teaching of the Scripture is, is believer's baptism. That you would be immersed and you would come out of the water and you would say, I'm buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a new kind of life. If you've never been baptized and you want to talk to me about that, I'm in the back corner of the room. We'll, we'll, we'll work through what it means for you to be baptized and for you to declare that you believe Jesus is Lord. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your word is true, and we thank you that it's true, and it's consistent even when our lives seem like lies that are inconsistent. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of, of the folks who are here. For the believers, God, encourage them and equip them and prepare them to be what you prepared them to be, to be light in darkness, to be hope in the face of uh, despair, to be life in the face of death. Lord, for the non-believers in the room, people who've never trusted in Jesus, would you? Lord, we trust that you draw men and women to yourself. 
And we would pray that we get to celebrate that with them. We ask all this in your name, Lord.